TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. Enjoy more of the things you love with TCL. I always enjoy bringing you the latest. This is The Scoop. It's The Scoop with Darren Dookie Wolfson from 5 Eyewitness News. And away we go. We are approaching 50 months strong here on The Scoop Podcast. We are 298 episodes in. This is episode 298. We began this podcast April of 2016. We appreciate everyone who has either listened to one episode, multiple episodes, or every single episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I always welcome feedback, both positively and negatively on Apple. If you want to give the podcast a rating, we would greatly appreciate that. Let me empty out my figurative notebook before I get to conversations I've recently had with Bruce Boudreaux, Tori Hunter, Kyle Gibson, and John Lore. A reminder, my goal on this podcast is to provide you some entertainment, some information that you just won't get anywhere else. So again, give me the feedback. If I'm providing you a bunch of stuff that you already know, let me know. Maybe I'll go back to the drawing board, figure out maybe a different way to deliver the podcast. We enjoy bringing you the podcast. We enjoy providing the podcast free of charge. I don't think that will change anytime soon. Although, heck, if I need to go to the model of others charging a dollar or two dollars a podcast, who knows what the future holds for many of us in sports media. But for the time being, as long as I'm employed here at Hubbard Broadcasting, the idea is to bring you this podcast free of charge. But again, any feedback you can provide would be much appreciated. Former Hopkins High School star, former Arizona star, the Pac-12 Freshman of the Year, Zeke Naji, will conduct interviews, virtual interviews this week with the Spurs, the Nets, and the Raptors. He's already done a bunch of teams. I texted with a front office official from one of the teams he interviewed with. The feedback has been very positive. Sakar Anum, De La Salle High School. I'm on record going back to 2014. Check my Twitter page. I'm on record saying the Gophers blew it. They should have offered Anum back then. That was a first guess. Hey, sometimes I'm right, sometimes I'm wrong. I think he turned out pretty darn good for Marquette, especially after redshirting his freshman year. He took an atypical route, played as a true freshman, then redshirted his next year. So he was at Marquette for five years. Really good on-the-ball defender. He'll make money playing somewhere. Maybe it's more so overseas, or if he wants to stay stateside, especially with the coronavirus, he can play in the G League. He has a chance to make money. He's also doing some of these virtual interviews. In fact, on Wednesday, he had his first with the Philadelphia 76ers. All the best to Sakar Anum. Continuing the NBA theme, there just isn't much momentum on the Wolves returning. Now, it's fluid. It could change. Snap of the fingers. Nothing has been finalized, but you talk to enough people in the NBA, including Anthony Tolliver, who was on this podcast recently. He said he can see a scenario. Others in the league will tell you they can see a comparable scenario where the Wolves are not invited to Orlando, that Orlando only includes 20 teams. Maybe it's 24 like the NHL is hoping for, but that it's unlikely all 30 teams go to Orlando. So with the Wolves in the position that they are, there is a chance at this point, a good chance, the way it sounds, that the Wolves season is done. But, hey, a couple guys have trickled back into town the last few days. Josh Okogie is now back in town. Jordan McLaughlin is now back in town. Jalen Noel is here. Jake Lehman is here. Nas Reed is here as well. But other guys are not in town. These workouts at Mayo Clinic Square are not mandatory. So if you're a guy like James Johnson, you're in Miami, why would you hustle back here? There is zero incentive 
to get back here, especially when all signs point to the Wolves not being part of the season that the NBA is hoping to resume sometime in July. On the National Hockey League, I mentioned the 2014 model that they introduced to us earlier this week. I think what's forgotten maybe a little bit is I'm not quite sure a lot of players are on board with this. The players still need to approve this, whether it's players already in summer vacation mode or guys with safety concerns. This is all about the owners. I still will be curious to see how this plays out. I know Bill Guerin was pretty optimistic on a Zoom call with members of the Twin Cities media on Tuesday night, texting with somebody with the Wild, texting with a non-Wild player. I just get the sense that not a lot of players are on board with resuming the season sometime in late July. But if they do resume, we saw that the Wild would open up in a best-of-five playoff series against Brock Besser and the Vancouver Canucks. The Twins have yet to finalize their draft board. The draft starts on June 10th. The Twins are open to drafting a high schooler, especially a high schooler that could potentially fall. I don't think they reach for a high schooler, but if one of those kids falls, they are open-minded. The Twins will have some more draft meetings the rest of this week through next week when they will finalize their board as we approach June 10th. I know conventional wisdom says, yeah, they'll take a college guy. It looks like they'll take a college guy. And you know what? If I had to bet, yeah, they probably end up taking a college guy. But I'm just saying don't dismiss some of these high school players, especially some arms. Maybe an arm or two, a high schooler, falls to pick 27. Max Meyer from Woodbury High School, University of Minnesota. Gophers pitcher. He won't fall to 27. The latest steam on him is his floor is pick nine. The Rockies at pick nine. His ceiling Could be as high as pick five with the Blue Jays, maybe even higher. Undoubtedly, he will be the highest Minnesotan to get drafted since Joe Maurer went number one overall out of Creighton-Durham Hall High School to the Twins in what year was that? 2001. So Max Meyer is about to hit the jackpot. Spicer natives Brandon and Shane Zilstra, the wide receiver. Shane from Minnesota State Mankato. Brandon now plays for the Carolina Panthers, former Viking. They have changed representation. One of Brandon's buddies recently got certified. He works for Priority Sports, so no hard feelings, no sort of falling out with Blake Barretts. They just decided, you know, once Brandon went to go be with his buddy, that it made sense for his brother to join up with the two. So Brandon now represented by one of his buddies who is a certified agent for Priority Sports, which is based out of Chicago. A bunch of Vikings have been working out at Adam Thielen's Lakeville Gym, ETS Training. Other guys have been working out in Woodbury. He works out in Woodbury. I know Tyler Johnson of the Buccaneers works out in Woodbury. Blake Cashman of the Jets works out in Woodbury. But Garrett Bradbury told us in a conference call on Wednesday that he, along with Avion Collins and who was the other one, Dakota Dozier, those three offensive linemen have been training together at Adams' location in Lakeville. The Vikings did not have any interest in James Hurst. The former Ravens offensive lineman has a lot of starts under his belt, can play multiple positions. He agreed to a one-year deal with the New Orleans Saints on Wednesday, but again, the Vikings didn't even kick the tires on Hurst. On Gophers basketball, they are all in on Booth Gotch, and you know there is a thought that Booth, to be immediately eligible, it makes sense for him to transfer to his home state remember he'll have to go through the waiver process booth doesn't want to have to sit out a transfer year booth wants to end up somewhere where he can play immediately well there is some logic behind the idea that if the ncaa is to grant him immediate eligibility that it would come here at minnesota over anywhere else but he is doing all these virtual tours 
you know, many schools in the mix, including Maryland in the Big Ten. But the Gophers, I'm telling you, are pushing hard to land Booth Gotch. They landed David Mutoff the other day. I talked to David. That interview is available on the KSTP.com sports page, KSTP.com backslash sports. My interview with David Mutoff over the weekend. He's in Istanbul, Turkey. Hopes to get over here at some point whenever he can get over here for summer workouts. But anyway, David Mutoff, the sharpshooter, about to turn 18 years old, has four years of eligibility. He committed to the Gophers a few days ago. Good player, or at least good shooter. He has a chance. I mean, it'll take a while. He'll have to adjust to American life. You know, Isaiah Enan, it took him almost a full season last season to really adjust. I think Enan heading into a sophomore year has a chance to really help the Gophers with Mutoff. I think his shooting translates right away, but I think just adjusting to American life may take some time. So I don't know if we should have big-time expectations with Mutoff right away, but maybe in a couple years things can work out well with the Gophers landing David Mutoff. I had a chance to shoot a TV story the other day with Chase Carter. He's a sophomore at Minnehaha Academy. His dad is former Gophers basketball player, Randy Carter, Chase, is in a unique position, not unheard of, but unique. I mean, Jalen Suggs was in this position. David Roddy was in this position. But we don't see a lot of guys in this position where you have big-time football and basketball college offers. So Chase has a Gophers basketball offer. He has a Florida basketball offer, some other basketball offers. Then for football, he's got Nebraska and Iowa State with the Gophers and a few other schools, including Notre Dame and a few others kicking the tires that in a year, Chase could have even more football offers. But right now, today, he has football offers from Nebraska and Iowa State. He's a defensive end. He's 6'6", still probably growing, may get up to 6'7", 6'7 and a half anyway. I was at a recent workout of his. Quincy Caldwell is a local trainer, also a local basketball coach. He ran Chase into the ground. I mean, Quincy, hats off to him for the workouts he puts these guys through, including Jalen Suggs. Jalen was there who's off to Gonzaga at some point later this summer, and Chet Holmgren, who's entering his senior year at Minnehaha Academy, one of the top recruits in the country basketball-wise for the class of 2021. Chet was there as well. So it just shows you that these guys work hard. It doesn't matter if it's May 27th, January 27th, March 27th. They are putting in the work 12 months a year. I just wish you could have seen the workout that those guys went through the other night. By the way, on Chet, I would not be shocked if he ends up going the G League route. I think he is that good. I'm just saying I would not dismiss that possibility. I keep getting asked on Twitter, hey, can the Gophers land Chet Holmgren? His dad, David, is a former Gopher. Shouldn't the Gophers be able to land Chet Holmgren? I mean, they're trying. I mean, new assistant coach Jeff Melhot has touched base. They are trying. Trust me, the Gophers are trying. Gonzaga is trying hard, right? But I'm just saying I would not dismiss the possibility of Chet eventually ending up in the G League, going that route, making money immediately. We've seen a couple guys decide to do that now, and I think that's going to pick up momentum over the next year. All right, let's get to my conversations. Not quite sure it matters which one we start with. So why don't we start with Bruce Boudreaux, former Wild coach. I caught up with him. It was a couple weeks ago, but I think all the topics are still relevant. Here's my recent conversation with former Wild coach Bruce Boudreaux. Bruce, it's been a while since we've chatted. I mean, I think the last time we, at least in the Channel 5 Sports Department, chatted with you, it either would have been pregame, that Rangers game on, what was that, February 13th or postgame. It was. It was the 13th. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then, I mean, just think about everything that has happened since then. Like, just how, how are you doing? 
Well, I've, you know, I'm like everybody else. I feel uh, isolated at this stage. Um, uh, there's still not a lot we can do, uh, especially more frustrating now that the weather's getting really, you know, it's nice these last couple of days. So it's, um, um, and there's really not a lot of hockey news going on. So you add all those things up and it's a little bit frustrating. How frustrating is it now compared to, let's say, you know, the evening of February 14th or February 15th? I mean, because you had to be really frustrated then. Uh, yeah, I was frustrated then. But, I mean, I think there's everybody that uh, gets relieved of their duties is frustrated at that point. Uh, um, the thing that really uh, is more frustrating, there's not much you can do about it at this stage because there's not a lot of, of things going on. Um, so that's at least in the past when things have happened uh, uh, like this, that the hockey's still going and you're still able to, to, to make calls and find out your situation here. It seems like there's, there's, uh, and it's nobody's fault except for the viruses that there's not a lot going on. As you look back at, at why you were relieved of your duties, I still can't figure it out, Bruce. After all these months, have, have you been able to figure it out? Like you guys were playing good hockey. You guys had won seven of 11 it just it didn't make sense to me, the timing of everything. Well, you know what? Uh, it's something that I don't really want to get into. I mean, I'm sure everybody has their reasons for doing what they do. Um, uh, I was, you know, I, I, I think of myself as a fairly smart guy, and uh, I was surprised. But listen, I've been in the business for uh, 45 years, and a lot of things have surprised me, and a lot haven't. Uh, um, but at the same time, you know, it's a – uh, there's a lot of things probably that, I mean, I, you know, I've got no answers for you when it comes to this. Uh, I just look, hopefully that uh, my body of work is, is made it to the point where uh, I could get another job somewhere. I mean, is that the belief that, that you still have a lot of good coaching in you that, that undoubtedly you are going to coach again? Well, I, I don't know if it's undoubtedly, that's not up to me, uh, but I certainly would like to. I still, I certainly have the energy to, I certainly, I'll have the desire to. So, I mean, you add all those things up and uh, and you take into account your record and everything else, then hopefully something good will happen. If it doesn't work out, would you consult for the Wild? I mean, isn't that written into your contract or is that not something that interests you? Well, that's in my contract, but I mean, I, I don't know. That, that's something that I guess uh, Bill and I would, would have to talk to come the end of June when, when the situation arises. Why is it your sport, maybe more so than any other sport? I mean, I think you were the eighth coach that, that was relieved of his duties during the season. Some of it was performance-based, a lot of it, or you have a situation like in Dallas. But, like, why is it your sport there is just so much change? Hey, you know what? I don't know. Um, I, I think everything would go around in cycles. Um, in, in a couple of years, maybe uh, maybe it's basketball or every, everybody gets uh, – moved or removed uh, at certain times. Uh, I don't know. I think football is a lot tougher because if a new guy comes in and it's not your offensive or defensive coordinator that has the same schemes pretty well that the team's going in, it's pretty well to do in midseason. Um, I, I don't know the situation in baseball as much. Uh, uh, but, I mean, I just know that the, through time, uh, there's usually six to six to seven players in a, or coaches in any year um, get relieved of their duties. And, and that's, you, you know, we signed up. We, know, we knew what we were getting into. So, I mean, it's, uh, it's not like 
this is a it, well, it was a surprise, but it's not like this is uh, something that uh, we didn't think could happen. Is the plan to to still keep roots here in Minnesota? I mean, I, I see the shirt, the the Blue Ox shirt, or is the plan for you to to head out of of Minnesota? Um, the Blue Ox shirt, we're keeping the team for sure. I mean, uh, um, and, and everything depends on 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 you know my my job. Uh, quite frankly, I mean, in the past, uh, we've just moved and gone from city to city, and that's what we we usually w would do here. Um, uh, we don't know what uh, what our plans are for the future yet. So I mean, it's uh, uh, it's been a couple months now, um, which is an, an awful lot longer than I've ever had to um, to worry about this stuff. But I mean, uh, uh, I think once hockey gets up and going again, then either things are going to happen positively or negatively pretty quick. If coaching doesn't work for next season, would TV interest you? I thought you did a really good job when, when I caught you during the, the trade deadline show. Well, you know what? I like it. It's fun. Um, I, I don't want to sit at home and, and do nothing. And even though I've watched so much hockey reruns right now, uh, uh, it's, it's sort of tiring. But it's it's um, uh, I think there's got to be something out there that – that I could do because I, I mean, coaching is my first love being involved in, in, in hockey. Uh, but if, uh, if it came down to it, I really like the TV aspect of it too. And the analyzing of the games. Are you rooting for, for Dean Evison? Would you like to see Dean, somebody, you know, well, you know, stick here for a while. I don't know what I, you know, I mean, look at the, the, um, uh, the competitor in me, you know, wants, uh, wants me to be the best at that situation. That's a tough question to ask uh, at this stage. I mean, uh, I just, I hate anybody losing their jobs, don't want anybody to fail. Uh, but more importantly, I really have got to, to like a lot of the players and want them to succeed. If the season doesn't resume, and this could be it for Miko Koivu, when I bring up Miko's name, I guess, what, what comes to your mind? Um, uh, with I guess the the number one thing is competitiveness, team team oriented, um, uh, and you know the, the the when you give him a task, he goes out there and does it. I don't know if the word is stubborn um, because he was really good at at what he did. He was uh, uh, he he's not putting up the numbers like you would love to have had him put up, but I knew he, even when I uh, put him out there. Uh, that something good was going to happen. And, and I felt more comfortable when he was on the ice than when he wasn't. Speaking of good happening, I mean, Kevin Fiala looks like he's got a chance to be really, really good. Yeah, he, you know, he, he started about 15 games when I before I left. And uh, um, I think everything about Kevin is he's always had the talent. Uh, Paul was right on with him, and, and a lot of guys never saw it, including me but at the time. but. Um, uh, it's all about his mindset. If he comes in with the right attitude and he's got the right guy pushing the buttons, then I think uh, Kevin can be, you know, a world-class player. But, I mean, at the same point, we're looking at him and, and he did it for 20 games. So, I mean, let's – I don't want to, you know, I hope he does it because I, I like him and he knows I like him. And, and we had more chats probably with him than, than, any, than any player. But uh, uh, his – what he has to do is, is do it in a day in and day out basis. Who was number two on that list? So if Kevin was the number one player that you met with, who was number two? 
Oh, I, I don't know. I met with a lot of them. I mean, I'm just saying that uh, uh, we had a lot of meetings, me and Kevin. So, I mean, uh, there was, uh, he had a lot of ups and downs. So, I mean, he, we had to meet with him more often. Put that TV analyst hat on, Kirill Kaprizov. I mean, what, what do you know about this, this young Russian that, that could end up here as, as soon as next season? I just know what everybody else knows. You know, I mean, uh, the word on him is he's got a tremendous shot comes in off the right wing and can score, um, dynamic player. Uh, and so, I mean, so that's what, you know, we've been hearing here in Minnesota for five years and, and we can, we hopefully, uh, for the great fans and that, that, that I hope he gets an opportunity to, to play here and hope he does come over here. Um, but my, my only warning to everybody is I was in Washington when they drafted Kuznetsov and, he had to wait three years before he came over. He had to go into the army and everything and um, over there. And when he came over here, it wasn't until his third or fourth year that he started to get going. And uh, luckily enough for Washington, they, they had a guy by the name of, Vask of Oveskin that they didn't have to pin all their hopes on, on, uh, on this one player. And so I, I just don't want them to expect, and it may happen for him to come over and score 50 goals in 50 games. But, uh, over time, I think they've got a real winner in, in everything I've heard of him, and, and hopefully he gets to play over here soon. I'll leave you with this. I mean, was the writing on the wall as unfortunate as it was? I mean, Chuck hired you, Bruce. Then you don't get the contract extension. Like, did you know entering this season that, that unfortunately, the, the result that happened was almost inevitable? Well, first of all, I never asked for a contract extension. So let's, let's start with that. And you know what, it's whatever it is, it's water under the bridge. I, I went out every day and coached and did what I could. Um, uh, and, and that was all I, could, I was concerned about, whether it was the team. And uh, uh, it didn't work out in the end, but hopefully it'll work out somewhere down the road. Bruce, thank you. I hope everything works out however you want it to work out. I hope you're coaching somewhere in the league next year, and I hope you kick some butt. And if it comes down to you, you know, kicking butt against the Wild, hey, so be it. I appreciate it. Thanks, Darren. Former Wild coach Bruce Boudreaux, always a pleasure to deal with the last four years. I'm telling you, I mean, some of the stuff off mic, off camera, just a hoot. I remember sitting down with him for a lengthy conversation last summer. I mean, the conversations we had off camera were way better than what we had on camera, and I thought he was really good on camera. So I will miss covering Bruce Boudreaux. I wish him all the best. He's right. Paul Fenton nailed Kevin Fiala. I'm not quite sure Paul nailed much else, but he nailed Kevin Fiala. Paul ended up scouting until, you know, things shut down. He was scouting for the for the Columbus Blue Jackets. He signed a part-time contract, uh, part-time scouting role deal with the Blue Jackets for the duration of the season. That was back in like late January, early February. All right, let's now transition to my conversation from Monday with former twin, current Texas Rangers starting pitcher, Kyle Gibson. Kyle, just how, how goofy have the last few months been? Like, I think about you going to Arizona, a new spring training site, getting to know your teammates. Heck, you appear in a game or two down there. Then all of a sudden, I mean, not just baseball, I mean, just this country as a whole comes to a grinding halt. Like, just pick up your story from mid-March when – when things shut down, just how weird it's been the last few months. Yeah, it uh, it was different, you know, trying to trying to use the time that I had to get to know teammates and 
um, you know, kind of get to know the storing staff and the catchers, which we were able to do pretty well. Um, and then it, it's always different, you know, when you don't know someone and you're kind of doing more texting and stuff like that. So um, Woody and, and the staff has done a really good job of keeping everybody on text chains and, and keeping everybody connected. But um, not that I feel like I'm an odd man out because I don't think that, but when you're getting to know someone, it's a whole lot easier to do it in person. And when you're sitting there talking to them, than uh, when you're just texting and, and asking how the day's going. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to getting back to Dallas and, and getting around the guys and, and, and building those, you know, friendships a little bit more. But, um, you know, it's been, it's been pretty fun. We got a, a really fun group that, that you could tell we had some veterans that they brought in as well that added a lot to the locker room. Um, and, uh, you know, with the mixture of Lance and Mike Miner and Jesse Chavez and some guys that have been around there, um, we think we got a pretty special group. What's it been like in terms of just your, your workout regimen? Like, you know, like, were you throwing a lot month of April, month of May? Like, there has to be a, a balancing point there where you don't want to overdo it, but you're used to throwing a lot April and May, obviously. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, it, it was interesting. When we when we got sent home right there in the middle of March, um, our, you know, Woody and, and Julio, our pitching coach, had no idea what the time I was going to be. So, uh, you know, all of the starters were built up to, I think my last batting was like 55 pitches maybe. So, so they basically wanted us to try to stay around 40 to 60 pitches in that window. Um, because right away we didn't know when it was going to be, you know, starting back up and how much time we we're going to have. Uh, you know, I think now we have a pretty good idea that we're going to get somewhere around three weeks, but uh, I think they were hearing that it could have been as short as two weeks. And our pitching coach was saying, you know, if it's two weeks, we don't even have time to get everybody three starts. So, we're going to need you to stay around that 50 pitch mark at least. Um, so I've been throwing at least one bullpen every week. Uh, I just faced some live hitters at our local Legion team uh, last week and had a little bit of fun with that. Uh, I think I threw 60 or so pitches and I'm actually doing that again on Wednesday. So, um, you know, that's been a lot of fun to get on the mound, just get a, an old wooden mound that has a slope on it and a net and uh, set up the Rapsodo and that tells me when I'm throwing strikes or not. You mentioned, you know, the belief that you'll have three weeks to, to ramp things up. Is there is there optimism that that you guys, the Players Association, the owner side, can come to some sort of agreement? It sounds like this this will obviously be a key week. Yeah, I, I've got a lot of optimism. Um, maybe that's just because I'm an optimistic person in general. But um, you know, I see I see how um, we kind of work together pretty well on the health and safety restrictions. I don't think those are completely ironed out yet. But um, I think everybody wants the best scenario. Uh, for everyone, and and I think the the tricky point of that is everybody wants to be healthy and safe from coronavirus, but we also have to be healthy and safe on the field too. Because which one is, is going to be worse? You know, I mean, it's just kind of a a double-edged sword there. If you don't have enough to get ready for the game and you hurt yourself, well, then you're not going to be playing in around your teammates to get coronavirus anyway. So. Um, I think once we get those ironed out, that'll be easy. Um, and we'll see what they have to say on, on the economic side. Um, our team with the union has been doing a lot of digging and trying to find, you know, how we can work with them and, and how we can, you know, make this work. Obviously, it's going to be a different looking season with no fans for the foreseeable future. And hopefully as cities open up and as they uh, are able to kind of judge the landscape and what it looks like, maybe some cities will be able to let in some fans and, and uh, you know, create a, a good and safe atmosphere. Um, but I don't think anybody really knows. I think that's kind of been the hardest thing about this pandemic is that you don't really know. There's a lot of unknown. And uh, you know, whether it's with your job, you know, an everyday job, uh, whether it's a sports writer, whether it's an athlete, 
Um, nobody really knows. And you're always searching for answers because we have answers to every other issue in our life right at our fingertips. Um, but with the pandemic, it just, it doesn't work that way. Uh, in two weeks, whenever June 10th gets here, the landscape could look drastically different. And in a month after that, whenever they plan on starting, it could look drastically different, better or worse. Um, so I think being able to roll with the punches and, and being flexible and, and making changes as we go is going to be really important. On the safety side of things, I mean, are you higher risk? I mean, we all know here in Minnesota what you battled last year with colitis. Are, are you in a higher risk category where, where you need to be extra precautious? Uh, yeah, uh, having the autoimmune, obviously, um, you know, definitely puts me at a higher risk to get a lot of different viruses, uh, and a lot of different common colds, influenza, coronavirus, like, uh, you know, some of the medicines, uh, allow you to get tuberculosis easier. So, I mean, yeah, you have to kind of watch what you're taking and understand the risks. Um, I'm not on an immunodepressant anymore medicine, which is good. So that helps with, uh, my immune system not being depressed to keep it from fighting itself uh, i'm on a different medication uh which has helped and, and helped all aspects especially in the coronavirus time um and the doctor here in st louis that i've seen has said that they haven't seen a drastic uptick in worse symptoms or you know fatal symptoms in people my age with an ibd so um i'm still pretty optimistic that uh i haven't been doing my daily life you know even though things have opened up here uh, where we lived somewhat. Um, I'm still being pretty cautious with washing my hands and uh, my wife Elizabeth's getting most of the groceries and, and doing most of the running around. So um, still being cautious with, cautious with that. But I think that thankfully, um, I might be able to get it a little bit easier, but the doctor doesn't think that uh, it should cause worse symptoms necessarily. Remind us, I mean, it was what, two winters ago? I mean, you're on a mission trip, you're doing all this good. Or was it Haiti or the Dominican? And yeah, Haiti next and thing you know, that's how you, you ended up getting colitis? Uh, yeah, we went um, right at the New Year's of 2019. Um, and we were down there on a mission trip and came back uh, with E. coli. And um, essentially the E. coli uh, was probably triggered and, and allowed to set in a little bit easier because of the, the underlying ulcer colitis that I really didn't know I had at the time. Um, and then uh, the E. coli really sparked a lot of inflammation and then allowed the, the ulcer pipes to kind of flare up and, and be pretty bad. But um, yeah, it was, a, it was an interesting chain of events. And, and as I go back and look on it and, and really kind of, I don't dwell on it too much because it is what it is. It's, it's done. It's not over with because, you know, I'll live with it for a while, but um, you know, the season is over with and it was challenging. Absolutely. But Feel like I learned a lot about myself and and um, you know, I think when you face adversity if you're not learning about yourself and you're not you know picking up uh, little character nuggets and, and how to move forward uh, you might be wasting that time but um, yeah it was it was an interesting year. <laughs> if it is an 82 game season Kyle or 80 or 78 is is that good or bad for you do you think? Um, as in terms of myself, well, I mean, I'm just trying to think back to, you know, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, you know, I guess mm -hmm. I could pull up baseball reference and look at your splits, but you mm -hmm. traditionally, I mean, are you one that gets off to a pretty good start or does it take a little while to kind of ramp things up? I've had both. Um, you know, I've had a, a really good start in 2014 and 15, I believe. Um, obviously the terrible start in 2017 that caused me to get sent down. Um, and then, uh, you know, a pretty consistent year in 2018. And so, I mean, it's been both ways. I think, uh, I think that's just sometimes how baseball rolls. I think 
you're going to have guys that, um, you know, I can't remember who it was. It might have been Brian Dozier talking a little bit about, you know, there's no statistics don't judge between spring training and the season. It's just who you are. And uh, he never wanted to hit a ton of homers in spring because he knew he was only going to hit so many homers over, you know, 600, 700 at-bats, and he didn't want to waste it in spring. So, um, yeah, I, I think everything is going to even out. And, yeah, last year, you know, I had a little bit more extended where I was struggling or, or unlucky or however you look at it. Um, but this year it's, it's different, you know. Um, I think 82 games um, puts a little bit more importance on each start. Um, and puts a little bit more importance on, you know, obviously the lower number of games and, and everybody getting off to a good start because I think the teams that are able to really prepare in their scrimmages and in their inner squads, assuming we can't play anybody else, uh, those are the teams that are going to get off to the best starts. And, um, you know, in an 82-game season, a good 30-game stretch uh, could really set you up to a point where uh, you can just kind of not cruise, but, I mean, if you're 10 or 15 games over 500, that makes a big difference you know, for the next 50 games. I really like that rotation you guys have. I mean, you mentioned it a little bit before, but I mean, with Kluber and Miner and, and you obviously know Lance well, I mean, you guys have some depth. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, I, I think the signing of Jordan Lyles as well has kind of gone under the radar as well. I mean, he, he ended last year on an, an amazing 11-game streak um, and really had figured a few things out with his pitch usage and, and how he was executing pitches. And, um, you know, I think everybody on the team was uh, very excited when we traded for Kluber, obviously. And the more I've talked to him, you know, just about that injury and, and about kind of what he went through, um, he feels great and he's really confident that, that he's going to be able to bounce back and, and have a really good year also. And, um, and especially in a shortened season, um, you know, you're going to have injuries to a certain rotation. That's just part of it. But um, starting pitching, uh, you see how much of a difference it makes in a five or a seven game series, you know, uh, in the playoffs it's going to make a big difference in a shortened season as well. Is it weird not to be a part of the, the Minnesota organization anymore? I mean, what was it, a good 10, 11 years? I mean, from first-round pick, you know, all the way to 19. I mean, first-round pick in, what, 09? Is that mm -hmm. right? Yep. So, yep. I mean, um, it was obviously a long time. Yeah, it's it's different. It was different walking in the door and, and uh, getting text messages from people. And, and now spring training is going, you know, not being around people. But um, – you know, baseball is something that uh, you always make different relationships and, and you're always, you know, kind of a lot of turnover. Being with one organization for 10 years is, is a little different. So I was blessed to, to be a part of that and, and to, to get my start with, with Minnesota. And um, But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when I said, you know, looking back at, at last year and, and dwelling on the past, you you want to make sure that you're looking forward and, and not missing opportunities that are, that are ahead of you as well. I mean, this might sound goofy too, Kyle, but is it easier to, to move on due to the fact, I mean, they – Unfortunately, they, they didn't have interest in bringing you back. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think we had plenty of time to, to prepare for that, really. Um, you know, when, at the end of the season, we talked to Thad just a little bit, saying that, you know, I was interested in coming back and, and really wanted to work something out. And um, when we didn't hear from him in the few days after the World Series uh, and then the, the week after, it was it was kind of clear. So, so we just had um, plenty of time to prepare ourselves, my wife and I especially, about, you know, relationships and friendships that, that we built to okay we can start now to prepare that we're going to be in somewhere else you know barring, barring uh, you know um we had plenty of time to think about it but it's still you know it was it was tough going down to fort myers and cleaning out our house and and uh you know saying see you later to the neighbors that we lived next to for 10 years and and really grew up around you know we bought that house in 2010 and, and had been neighbors with them ever since so um but we, we had some time to prepare for it, like you said, and, and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. 
you were the players rep here, but you're not the players rep there in Texas, right? I mean, I, presumably they, they uh, had one just in place. an alternate rep. Yeah, just an alternate rep. Yeah, Elvis Andrews is the player rep. So, I mean, do you have your fingerprints then on? I mean, I, I guess as the alternate rep, are you helping Elvis? Like, what's what's the dialogue like with you know Tony yeah, Clark and some of the others? Yeah, it's it's basically the same. You know, I, I think uh, you normally have four or five guys that are involved in a team, and uh, you know, yes, you have your player rep. Uh, who's you know the name player rep, but um, I think Elvis is. Everybody's interested to hear what what everybody thinks. You know, I mean, whenever we have a call, there's you know hundreds of guys on the call. I mean, everybody wants to know. Even if you're not a player rep, you can be on the call and and listen in and and hear what everybody has to say. So, um, and we have a, a really active you know players union and people that are really trying to to hear the information and and know what's going on. And I'll just hit you one more time because the bandwidth was going in and out last time I. I asked the Kyle, just, I mean, just, there is optimism that, that, you know, baseball would be so therapeutic, right? It would return some sense of normalcy for so many people that, that there might be a lot of bickering that's, that's in the press right now, but ultimately you guys can find a way to make this work. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty optimistic person. So um, optimism isn't too hard for me to come by. And uh, yeah, I think, uh, I think we have a, a pretty good shot of getting some worked out. You know, we're working on the health and safety stuff, obviously, and, and getting that ironed out health on the field and off the field. And, um, you know, we'll see what their economic proposal, you know, has in it this week. And um, I think it's, it's something that we can work out. Both sides want to play. And the, the real issue is going to come if one side decides that they don't want to play for whatever reason. So um, I think there's a motivation on both sides to get something done. Let's continue the baseball theme. I recently caught up with another former twin, Tory Hunter. This conversation goes back two to three weeks, but I believe every topic is still very applicable. Here's my recent conversation with Twins Hall of Famer, Tory Hunter. Tory, let's just start with, I mean, you're a business owner. Like, how crazy is this for you? How... You know, like, just take us through your emotions as, as we try to overcome this pandemic. Man, it's, it's crazy because uh, uh, during this time, you know, all these restaurants have to kind of get creative. Um, when it first started, um, I said mid-March, we had to sit down and have a meeting and try to figure out how can we be creative. So it was uh, five of us in the meeting, and we just sat and we brainstormed. It took us about three or four hours. Uh, and we just said, all right, let's go to curbside um, uh, serving, um, takeout, online presence. We made it more known. Uh, we used a little more of Instagram, social media to kind of get the word out. And, uh, and they, and they kind of just gravitated to it. And uh, so it kind of kept our doors open and kept our employees as well. We kept uh, our full-time employees. Uh, we're still able to pay those guys. Uh, we let some of our part-time uh, uh, guys go, uh, just kind of furlough them. And whenever everything gets back to normal, they can come back, you know? Um, and, and then just recently, about two weeks ago, we, we started a, a drive-through. We made our own drive-through at our restaurant. And that's, that seems to catch on pretty well because you just put the food on the, in the passenger side, never touch anybody. And, uh, and we just try to make sure our employees are safe and also our customers. So, uh, it's you find out ways to try to serve the customer uh, as safe as possible, but at the same time uh, protect your employees and and make sure they still have some funds in their pockets as well. 
It was like two months ago, you were in Fort Myers helping out the twins. Does that feel like it was like two years ago? Man, it really does. It actually feels like forever. Um, I, I, I mean, it's something that we've never experienced. Not in my lifetime, not in my parents' lifetime. Uh, so it's something that we're not familiar with with uh, uh, in this world. And, you know, for baseball not to be here, basketball, football, the draft was like, I don't know, distance uh, last night. Uh, so, you know, kids are not in schools. You see all these schools. Sometimes I get out and I ride around and these nice schools are just empty. You know, you're like, wow, this is crazy. And uh, so it just, um, it's something that we're trying to, you know, ad lib, we're trying to figure it out as we go. And, uh, and sometimes you have to do that during the crisis. You know, it's, it's not when you, you fold, it's not when you sit down and, and, uh, uh, and just complain or, or, or just lay back. You gotta be creative at, during a crisis and don't let fear overtake you. And you have to figure out ways to get it done. Whether it's your physical health, your mental health, your relationship with your spouse, your kids, um, your finances, uh, we kind of reflect and we think about all these things and we, we can look back and see what we mismanaged somewhere in our life, some aspect of our life we mismanaged. And that's why some things don't work out for us because of mismanagement. On your time down to Fort Myers, I guess what, what stood out? I mean, the hope is at some point we have baseball, some sense of normalcy. And I think sports and baseball in particular could help society a lot. So I think the hope is, now, who knows for sure, right, Tori? But the hope is at some point we have baseball, even if it starts in July or August. I mean, from what you saw in February, do you feel like the Twins are well-equipped whenever, you know, this thing gets rocking and rolling? Man, the Twins, you know, I could speak for the Twins. I can't speak for every organization, but I know the Twins, they're going to do what's right for the players and they're going to do what's right for the, the, uh, the, the fans. Um, which one is safer? You know, not having the fans – in the stadiums uh, is the safest bet uh, and having the players uh, in the clubhouse. But I, I, I've been reading some things. I don't know much what's going on, but I've been reading things about uh, these guys can't have contact with their families. Uh, they have to, you know, talk to them probably via uh, FaceTime or, or Zoom uh, and, and you can't be around them. So guys are going to miss their families, man. It's the first time a lot of players don't have their families with them. Uh, and then what happens if one guy in the clubhouse gets it? You got to shut that whole season down because the Twins will have to close their clubhouse. Uh, they have to get tested. And testing is, like, like we know, it's probably 30% of negative tests was actually positive. And uh, so uh, that's just not accurate. It's taken two weeks for uh, these tests to come back. So we're just not familiar with this. You know, we, we're speculating down the road. We, we're hopeful. Uh, that we can get some baseball and or any other sport going in the, in the near future. But uh, we just have to kind of see where it goes. We don't know what Corona uh, is thinking right now. Corona has a mind of his own. <laughs> You're right. I mean, Corona is, is undefeated in many ways. I mean, I guess those who have survived it can say they beat yeah. it. But it's still here and it's going to be here for a while. And, I mean, who knows? It might be years until there's a vaccine. So, I mean, just listening to you talk, Tori, I mean – can you see a scenario where I guess there there isn't baseball this year? Um, I, it's crazy because I, I see it. I can see a scenario where there is no baseball for 2020. Um, and if it is, it, I mean, does it hurt us or does it help us? 
you know, it helps the fans because they're at home. You know, everything's TV. Uh, there's re, uh, uh, replays of different games, reruns of movies, <laughs> different things like that. They would love to see some baseball. But for the players, you know, we get off on the, the energy that the, the fans bring in the clubhouse. I mean, uh, in the, at the field, at the stadiums. That energy boosts us up to get to the next level. I've played in games where there's nobody in the stands, and you're like, man, why am I here? You know, and it seems like a practice. So you just work on it. You start working on different things. But uh, I don't know. I've never been in this situation, only in the Gulf Coast League, which is the worst league. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and that, if you can get past the Gulf Coast League, you, you definitely became a man. And uh, so I, 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 um, I, I just don't see a lot of baseball in 2020. But if it does, you know, you know what happens when a player gets it? Guys can't be with their families. We can look at the glass half empty, but looking at the glass half full, fans get a chance to see the great game of baseball. You just have to see if the players are in agreement of it. Any of your old games? Have you caught any? I mean, I guess I haven't watched a ton of MLB Network, but you know, have you caught any of your old games along the way here the last you know five six weeks? No, I haven't really watched any TV, uh, any sports. It's just so, you know. I, I, I don't watch TV much. I stopped watching TV five years ago. Uh, too, too many negative uh, um, things that are floating around there. So I just I stay away from it as much as I can. Uh, I, most of my sports are via uh, Instagram or, or any Twitter or social media con uh, um, uh, situation, whatever it is. I just, man, I, I don't mess with it too much. But I hear about things. I see it on Twitter. I see 2002 games played. Uh, I, I see a lot of different games played and, and I see people comment on it and then I jump in, I, I'll talk about, you know, uh, a situation or a feeling in that moment. And uh, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that they're going back and, and uh, looking at 2002 for me, which I feel like of my career, we were the underdogs. You know, we were the guys that said, hey, you guys are the best AAA team in baseball and we're going to contract you and we're going to disperse your team to all your players to different teams uh, across Major League Baseball in a little mock draft. I'm, I mean, that was like a slap in the face. And we went out and proved a lot of people wrong. And, uh, and we ended up getting to the ALCS, playing the Yankees, of course, $190 million payroll to our $9 million payroll. Uh, it was tough. It's it hard to beat those, those superstars over there. But we proved a lot of people wrong. We beat the Oakland A's when everybody thought Oakland A's was going to beat us with the big three. And we took their 20-game uh, winning streak, and we ended it. Uh, so uh, you talk about Moneyball. What about Twins baseball with nothing but guts and glory? You know, it wasn't no, no analytics. It was like, who wanted it more? That's what analytics is. <laughs> you talk 0-2, and that, that was a punch in the gut. What about 06? I still go back and look at 06. You guys in, like, late May were eight games under 500. Then you go on that unbelievable run. You clinched the division last day of the year. I can't recall. Somebody had to lose, and there was that big party at the Metrodome. And then all of a sudden, yeah. you, guys, you guys go three games and out against Oakland. Yeah. We, we, uh, we had some celebrations, man. We know we, we clinched for the wild card, uh, I think, in September, sometime in September, a couple of weeks before the end of the season. And then we, we end up having a chance to win the division later on. So we clinched for the wild card, had a party, enjoyed that. We, we enjoyed it. 
and then we kept playing. And then at the, the last game of the season, we we had a chance to win the division, and we won. So it was like a big celebration. I think I think we were so pumped up. It was like, man, we just we just did the impossible, and we might have got caught up in our past victory and not got into our present. Um, um, uh, we the work that we had to be done, and we didn't do the work, man. That we we didn't come out ready to play, um, and we just we didn't win. And of course, we had Dan Heron, which was a tough guy to face uh, with Oakland A's at the time with that split finger. But um, we just couldn't beat him, man. It was it was a tough situation. I think it might have been our past victory uh, before that. We were still stuck on that. I tell you what would be cool. The 2020 twins against, you know, the 06 twins or the 02 twins. <laughs> yeah, it would be cool. I mean, you talk about Nelson Cruz. Well, I mean, Nelly Cruz is someone you dreamed of having um, when I, in my day. You know, you, as they say, you couldn't afford them. But in my day, we didn't go after guys like that. We didn't go after um, the bringer of rain, Josh Donaldson. You know, we didn't go after guys like that. And we didn't have them. We couldn't afford them. And uh, it's just a totally different situation. But we did have heart. We had fight. And we beat teams just like the 2020 uh, uh, Twins. And so uh, the matchup is about who has it more, who plays fundamental baseball, who's going to play better defense, who's going to pitch to location, who's going to make that contact uh, uh, to the right side or make contact to get the guy over, just take first and third. Now, we're good at that. You know, we're, we're, we were hyenas. We always took advantage of the weak link. <laughs> I'll let you go after a couple more. I haven't talked to you at least about this. Royce Lewis, so Royce, he lived with you during the winter or he lived in, in the area and trained with you? I guess just take us through the story there. Uh, Royce, man, I, I've known his dad since, you know, my early days with the Twins, going out to play the, uh, the Angels. I went to this place called the winery, and that's what he owns, part of the winery, and he runs it. And um, we'll go there and we'll eat, eat there after every game. He'd give us wine. He, sh he taught me wines. And, uh, and so um, I didn't know he had a son to play, you know, that played baseball. And he, he uh, I think we had his name on a list. And uh, um, uh, Derek Falvey came to me and said, I think you know this guy's dad. I'm like, what? And he said, he said, yeah, his name is uh, William Lewis. I'm like, yeah, I know William Lewis. I didn't know he had a son that was that good. And uh, it ended up being the number one pick in the country. So I, I knew his dad, and I, I took taking pictures with him when I was with the Angels, uh, and, and he was 13 years old, and I, I was able to talk to him. But I just didn't know he was like that. And years went by, and, and um, so he moved here. I talked to him about financial literacy. I talked to him how to – you know, wanted to talk to him about how to carry himself and different things like that. And he chose to move here just to, you know, better himself. And that's all his choice. It has nothing to do with me. His choice was I want to better myself, uh, my all-around game, off the field and on the field. And uh, and he moved down the street, bought a, a condo that here down the street, maybe uh, 10 minutes from me and Matt Kemp and Latroy Hawkins. And so he got he can get it from every aspect and. And uh, he chooses to do that. And a guy that chooses to, to better himself, you got to commend him and uh, applaud him. Yeah, I mean, so, okay, so he's got the talent. He's got the work ethic. I mean, what sort of ceiling does he have? The ceiling is probably, you know, you can't reach it. You know, um, 
and he might not be able to reach his, uh, his ceiling until he's gone out of baseball. You know, this guy is a special kid. You know, you talk about character and, and this guy has leadership skills. He really doesn't care what happened to him or he went 0 for 3 with three strikeouts. He's trying to make you better and tell you that you're more than you, you can even imagine. And, uh, and that's what I love about him, man. He comes to the stadium. He, gets, he has a personal relationship with every player. Uh, he works hard. He wants to hit. He's like a trained canine. He, he's like a canine that always wants to train, and, uh, but also wants to train his mind. He wants to train his physical ability, his health. How do you eat right? You know, what should I do with my money? And different things like that. He's, he's unbelievable, man. He's, he's an all-around talent. And, uh, and I definitely think that the, the Twins did a great job in drafting him. I'll let you go after this. Anybody else catch your eye when you were in Fort Myers? Man, you know what? Uh, Alex Kirilov is pretty special as well. The competitiveness uh, that he had. Um, you know, I can always talk about the position players. Like, pitchers, I, you know, we just don't get along. <laughs> and, uh, uh, but I do get along with pitchers. I talk to them. Uh, I can't tell them, you know, their mechanics or anything like that. But I also talk to them about, you know, uh, believing in themselves and different things. I, I can inspire them. But um, most of the position players is Trevor Lonick, um, 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 uh, Alex Kirloff. These guys' plate presence is unbelievable. They're left-handed hitters, short, quick to the, to the ball, and they got some juice to hit left center field, right center field, uh, and, and really puts, puts up a great at-bat. Um, so I, I, and, and Kirloff in the outfield is actually getting better. He's working on his, his first step quickness, uh, so he's getting better in the outfield. Um, man, I definitely think these these guys uh, are going to be the the twins of the future. You got to slot them in there somewhere because we got a bunch of young guys with long contracts with the twins. Uh, so it's going to be some sliding or trading that's going on in the next uh, three to four years. But um, I definitely think these guys are the future of Major League Baseball. And you're content. I mean, you know, the restaurant and and your real estate dealings. I mean. Is there any itch to, to get back in the game full-time, maybe be a manager somewhere or a hitting coach, anything along those lines? Um, it could be. It could be definitely because, you know, one thing I do know is that I've had a lot of failures in baseball, a lot of experiences in, in baseball, and, and I've made some adjustments, you know, in the game of baseball. So um, it's something that I can give back to a, a lot of these players. Uh, some coaches give feedback to some of the coaches of what these players are going through and how you approach them. Um, uh, so I, that's why I choose to, you know, stay as a special assistant. I'm into my businesses here, but I want to stay on as a special assistant. So when I come in, I'm able to give them the, the wisdom, the understanding, the knowledge that I have I've obtained in the game uh, and give it back to them and make them better, better men, better players, whatever it may be. Um, and, and just give it back. And I think that's what we all need to do in every area that, uh, that we're, we're working in. You know, so that's what I choose to do. T-Nuts, good to see your pretty face. Thank you for doing this. Hey, thanks, man. My wife think I'm pretty too. <laughs> <laughs> the one, the only Tory Hunter. He co-owns a barbecue joint in the Dallas area. He misremembered or misspoke. Oh, two. The Twins lost to the Angels, the Anaheim Angels. It was four games to one, K-Rod and the Anaheim Angels. But I can't fault him 
if his memory gets clouded. I mean, it's like automatic, right? The Twins losing the playoffs, you just think, hey, we lost to the Yankees. But, yeah, that was one of the years where they actually didn't lose to the Yankees, didn't play the Yankees, but lost to the Angels in the league championship series. Nonetheless, though, 0-2 was a special season for Torrey Hunter and his teammates. All right, let's now get to another Zoom conversation I had in the last few days. This one is with Long Lake native, the former Orono High School star. He then went on to a nice career at the University of Wisconsin. Nice basketball career. Was then a second-round pick of the Milwaukee Bucks. He played for five different NBA teams over eight years. He announced his retirement the other day. It is John Lohr. He's only 31 years old. I was very curious why John is retiring. Here is my recent Zoom chat with John Lohr. From afar, I see somebody that's in really good shape that's, what, 31 years old. I'm wondering, why retire? You know, why announce this now? I guess take us through your thought process. Yeah, I mean, you know, I might look in shape, but uh, I'm not super healthy right now. Still dealing with a couple injuries. And uh, over the last three years, as you know, I've, I've had – a number of other injuries and surgeries that I've been through uh, with my knee, my ankle, um, dealing with a shoulder injury uh, now as well. And uh, really wanted to play this year. Um, didn't really care where I was, I was looking at uh, obviously NBA teams, but also overseas. And uh, unfortunately had another problem with my shoulder uh, and then the pandemic hit and you know, I'm still dealing with my shoulder injury now. And uh, you know, just kind of seeing how the, last three years had gone um, and knowing, you know, my health has been, been really declining um, a number of surgeries. I just felt like, you know, unfortunately um, I had to break the cycle of just being in, in surgery, you know, pain rehab, surgery, pain rehab, um, because I've been stuck in it for about three years. Do you need even another surgery? I mean, we're talking about your shoulder. I mean, do you need another surgery at some point? Yeah, I will. I will for sure. Um, and that played into my decision as well. Um, and just the, honestly, just the thought of, of as much as I love the game and wanted to get back and play, uh, the thought of having something else happen after this one, um, you know, I'm so tired of, <laughs> of rehabbing and having surgery. Um, you know, that factored into my decision as well. So no chance. Let's say you undergo the shoulder surgery at some point this summer when things hopefully, you know, return to some sense of normalcy. And let's say the phone rings, it's November. Some team wants to come up here, fly up a scout, watch you work out. They have interest. I mean, you won't answer the phone if it rings in November? I would definitely answer the phone, but I think that recovery time on the surgery is going to be three or four months, so I wouldn't even be ready for the beginning of next year. Um, you know, maybe the following year, um, if miraculously everything feels great, I uh, give it about a 0.01% chance of, of me actually considering coming back, just given how my body feels. Um, but I guess, you know, you can never, never say never until you're, uh, until you're about 40. What were some keys to making it as long as you did? It's not like you were a lottery pick. You know, guys that go where you got drafted, you probably know the numbers better than me, but oftentimes those guys don't have a, a long sustained career. You did. I mean, what, what were some of the keys? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, persistence. A lot of guys uh, that, that come in and, and don't get the opportunity they want right away or, or don't get minutes, they can get really down on themselves, get really frustrated because they've never been in that situation before, right? You're always kind of the star growing up. But, uh, you know, 
know, anytime I was in one of those situations where, you know, maybe things weren't going my way or wasn't getting the minutes I wanted, I just, I just kept pushing myself. And, and I think, you know, my work ethic and, and uh, character are, are really what uh, created the longevity in my career. If you don't go to Wisconsin, I mean, coming out of Orono High School, you certainly had a few options. But if you don't land in Madison, do you have the NBA career that you did? Yeah, that's a tough question. That's a tough question because obviously the Wisconsin system with what they allow bigs to do and showcase their, their versatility, right, um, was, was huge for me. So I think that system was perfect um, playing for Coach Ryan and, and, and having so many good teammates that, you know, helped me develop as a, as a player and a, as a person. Um, you know, those four years were, were crucial to, to my development. And I honestly don't know if I would have uh, been able to make it to the NBA or not. How about some individual memories? I mean, I guess what, what stands out? I mean, you're right. You played for multiple teams. You hit the jackpot. I mean, right? I mean, you hit free agency at <laughs> the exact perfect time. It worked out. You were coming off a really good year. You signed the really nice contract in Detroit. But as you think of just some individual memories, I guess what, what stands out? Um, well, I mean, I could, you know, in college, winning the Big Ten and, and uh, you know, going to two Sweet 16s, we're, we're definitely up there. And then in the NBA, being able to play in the Western Conference Finals with Memphis, and that was the best team I was, I was ever on. Um, that was really fun, playing with that group, with, with that type of culture was something I'll always remember. Um, you know, having some, some, uh, some career games that I had. I think I actually have my career high against the Timberwolves. Uh, sorry to the Wolves, Wolves fans that might be watching. But, um, you know, stuff like that always, always stands out. And then the, the relationships that you build along the way are, are you know, what's, what's uh, the most, most fun to look back on. I recall the Wolves game. I mean, even going back to college playing the Gophers, was it fun after you left here to play against the Gophers, to play against the Wolves? It was because there was always that rivalry, you know, and, and I have so many uh, friends and family members back home here in Minnesota. Um, and, and for me to, to kind of have that chance to go up against them was, was always fun. Was there anybody that reached out in particular after you posted what you did on Instagram that, that surprised you or you said, whoa, great to hear from, from this person? Because I'm guessing your phone just blew up. Uh, yeah, it did. And, and that was really cool. You know, I, I just, I wasn't even really expecting to hear from a lot of the people that I heard from, um, uh, a bunch of old coaches, a uh, bunch of old teammates, um, Stan Van Gundy, Dave Yeager, um, uh, so many other guys that I'm forgetting, you know, those are two that just jump out, but, uh, you know, think that's something that you really appreciate because, because like I said, I was just kind of posting it just so that I didn't have to explain it to people you know, over and over again, what my situation is. But then when you start getting all these texts and, and uh, phone calls and stuff, it was, it was, it was really special for me to, to have people that reached out and, and uh, you know, genuinely cared about me and, and uh, appreciated uh, our time together. Is now more about your wife and letting her do what she wants to do and giving her that platform that, that she was always there for you and traveling around and, and allowing you to do what you did, but now it's about her time. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Uh, <laughs> we've had that conversation. She was a, a coach's daughter and then uh, obviously a player's wife. So she's uh, been around sports forever. Um, and, and she's definitely looking forward to uh, kind of starting our new journey together that, that won't uh, at this time involve sports. And she's, uh, so sharp and talented that she's got so many uh, opportunities ahead of her. And, and I'm excited to be able to kind of support her 
as, as she goes into her endeavors. A little bit more on her and, and you during this pandemic. I mean, you guys have, have given back a lot, haven't you, the last couple months? Uh, yeah, we've, we've tried to find ways where we can, we can give back and, and help out the community. And um, it's something that, that's always been important to us. Specifically, what have you guys done? Um, so we partnered with um, Meals on Wheels uh, and Crispin Green, the restaurant, to donate uh, a bunch of meals to people who needed them. Um, we're also looking to continue to find other opportunities and other avenues um, to do some more because, you know, we just realized there's a, there's a great need out there in a lot of different areas. And uh, we're, we're definitely going to plan something else as well. John, when did you realize that, that you'd have a chance to, to play professionally? I mean, heck, was it, you know, you grew a bunch at Orono, right? So was it when you had the growth spurt or was it at some point after you arrived in Madison toward the latter part of, of your collegiate career? When did you realize, hey, I can make a living playing basketball? Um, yeah, I mean, I always had a huge passion for the game and that was always my goal, right? My dream. But uh, I think when I had the growth spurt and, uh, you know, got up to 6'10", it was, it was kind of the realization like, okay, well, you know, there's not too many guys that uh, are this height that can you know, shoot and, and dribble and be versatile. And you kind of saw the way the game, uh, NBA game was trending uh, with stretch fours and versatile bigs. And that's kind of my you know, junior, senior year, I was like, man, this, this could, uh, this could really happen for me if I continue to work every day and, and, and kind of can actually turn this dream into a reality. And the way the game continues to evolve. I mean, just, just a shame, like to me, like the way the game has gone the last couple of years and to me, will continue to go the next few years. Like it just, it fits your skill set to me, ideally. Yeah, it does. It does. It keeps getting smaller and smaller. I mean, I, I remember when I came into the league, I was drafted kind of as like an undersized four because um, the, the power forwards at that time were, you know, Kevin Garnett, Dirk Nowitzki, Tim Duncan. Um, and then by, you know, the time I was leaving the NBA, I was, I was a, a center, a five. So um, it's, just, it's just funny how the, the game always evolves. And, and, yeah, definitely right now I feel like I could, you know, if I was in my prime and healthy, uh, have a lot of success. I'll leave you with this. I mean, is the one thing that maybe fans don't realize, and it's no knock on a lot of fans, but just the toll, you know, any professional athlete's body takes. I mean, you, you detailed it a little bit earlier, but just everything you've had to deal with. I don't know if, if a lot of fans, like, I don't know if a lot of people, heck, I don't know if I at times grasp everything that an athlete has to go through to play at the highest level. Is that one thing that maybe you'd like to share with, with fans that still are wondering, okay, he's 31. Why exactly is he walking away? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, you know, especially when you get into, let's say, you know, January, February of the season, um, and you realize you still have like 47 games to go, that's when it really hits you, and what it takes uh, physically to get through an NBA grind of a season, um, and at the same time, you know, you love that part of it, because it's, it's, it's your dream, it's your passion, but uh, it also definitely takes a physical toll. And uh, if you're not healthy, you know, your health is the most important thing. And it, for an athlete, if you're not healthy, nothing else matters. And uh, when you go through a grind of a season like that and, and your body starts breaking down and you're not feeling, you know, you lose some of the joy of the game. And, and that's that's where it can get really dif difficult mentally. Um, 
but I was I was fortunate to have a lot of good years where I was healthy, and I, I enjoyed that that aspect of it. Um, but when you get later in your career, if your body breaks down, it makes it really tough. I mean, I even think I mean you get a couple of weeks when the season ends, but like you know, being with you in in the gym with Bill Welly, right, middle of the summer, like it really is. It's it's twelve months a year. It is absolutely. I mean, yeah, you know, because you were you were there, but yeah, I would take about two three weeks off, and then you know you get right back into it. And, uh, you know, you're doing workouts at 7 a.m. and uh, a couple, one or two basketball workouts a day for sure. And then some other kind of cross training thing. And, uh, you know, that's actually one of the things I'll miss because I, I kind of train my mind to fall in love with that off-season work and off-season pro- process because I felt like that's where I can make the most progress in, in my game. Um, so I'm definitely going to miss the, the off-season grind of, of just kind of building my own schedule and, and working with Welly and, um, you know, that's something I'll miss, but it, but it is, it's a 12 month a year commitment and you have to, you know, sacrifice your life to the game if you want to you know, have a successful NBA career. Coaching interest to you or, or skills work? I mean, do you think you'll find a way to still be involved with the game? Yeah, I definitely will in some way. Uh, if not the first, you know, couple of years, I'll definitely do something. Um, I did, uh, the player association does a good job of putting on these uh, development programs for when you're done. And uh, last summer I did the coaches program. I did the uh, real estate program and I also did the broadcasting program. So uh, all three of those are avenues that I could see myself doing. Um, coaching was probably the most natural just because, you know, you're, you're around the game and it's, it's what you've always done. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. Don't take my job. <laughs> you want to go broadcasting, broadcast the games. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not nearly good enough to do that. Oh, yeah, you are. Thank you so much, John. <laughs> Congratulations on one heck of a run. Stay safe. I know I speak for a lot in the Minnesota basketball community. We had a blast watching you the last, heck, going back 12, 13 years. I appreciate that. It means a lot. John is married to Brian Billick's daughter. So Brian, the Super Bowl winning coach with the Baltimore Ravens, now does great work for the NFL Network. And Brian is the former Vikings offensive coordinator. John is married to one of Brian's daughters. They currently live here in Minneapolis, but have talked about uprooting to Nashville. They may lay down roots in the Nashville area. John Lohr, Orono High School star, announcing his retirement from the NBA at the age of 31. Injuries just unfortunately got the best of him, but he did sign a big money contract. He hit the jackpot at the perfect time. That's when the salary cap spiked that summer of 2016. So he got like four years, $40 million from Detroit. Was coming off a good year, and I'm telling you, I mean, any other year he doesn't get $10 million a year, but that particular summer with all these teams flush with salary cap space, he was able to hit the jackpot with Stan Van Gundy and the Detroit Pistons, then the Pistons coach and general manager Van Gundy. Now it's Ed Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski's dad. Kevin now where in Cleveland, just moved from Edina to Cleveland. The Browns head coach, Kevin, the former Vikings offensive coordinator, Ed is in charge of the Detroit Pistons. Although I looked, I saw that the Pistons are are hiring a GM, so somebody that can work in conjunction with Ed. But Ed, a longtime NBA guy, Ed is – just a fantastic guy. But yeah, John, wishing him nothing but the best. All right, we are done. This has been Scoop Podcast episode 298. I always appreciate you listening. Stay safe, stay sane.